Thanks for joining us on Joy Church Podcast. Our Sunday services are held at 1030 a.m. at 4120 Highway 50A in Fernley, Nevada. To stay up to date with what's going on at Joy Church, check out our website at www.joychurch.life. The following message is presented by our senior leader, John Poundstone. This is what we're going to talk about today. Treasure. And we're going to go, this is a, we, we talked about divinely occupied back in May and it's time to talk about it again, but in a kind of an, a different way. Um, sometimes when I can't sleep at night, I thumb through headlines, scroll through head, news headlines. Anybody else? The middle of the night? Wow, I'm the only freak in here, huh? I saw a headline, I'm not kidding you, the other night, it was four days ago, three nights ago, I saw a headline, <laughs> it struck me for two reasons. World's largest treasure is about to be found. It's in Finland. And first of all, world's largest treasure, $20 billion. And then the second thing that struck me is about to be found. About I'm from Montana, and where I'm from in Montana was the first territorial capital, and the reason it was the first territorial capital is because it was the first major gold strike in Montana, a little like Virginia City here, right? And everybody and his brother is a gold prospector, because I'm fixing to, that's Texas, but I'm fixing to find me some gold. I'm going to prospect and you get this gold fever thing, right? So about to be found. I've only been looking for it for decades and so forth well then along comes mel fisher and some others and they actually find this stuff and it's fabulous and it's huge and all like this so who knows maybe this is for real well in case you're not familiar with this story i did find a one and a half minute long news clip about it so when debbie's ready she'll dim the lights and and play this for us just so you can kind of get up to speed this is this is real this is not something i'm making up for a change Treasure hunters are on the verge of discovering what they call the world's largest treasure hoard. The Temple 12 team has searched for the Lemon Canaan hoard, which comprises gold, jewels, and antiques since 1987. They believe spades, buckets, and other rudimentary instruments help them reach the hoard in Finland, estimated to be worth more than $20 billion. According to the New York Post, they claim to be just a dozen feet away from finishing excavation, which is expected to end in the summer of 2022. 50,000 gemstones, including rubies, sapphires, emeralds, and diamonds are in the vast trove. There are also expected to be 1,000 artifacts dating back thousands of years and a handful of 18-karat gold life-sized statues. The hoard is in a Sipul underground temple within the Sibisburg cave system, about 20 miles east of Helsinki. Lemon Canaan hoard expert Carl Borgen, 60, said according to the Good News Network, significant progress at the temple has been made, and the crew are feeling especially excited about the months ahead. Temple 12, as they have become known, have been able to remove several huge square granite rocks blocking the entrance to the cave, and have cleared the cave of hundreds of tons of smaller rocks and sediment. In 1984, landowner Iyer Bach announced he was descended from Lemming Canaan, a Finnish mythological hero. Bach claimed stone slabs were used to seal up the treasure back in the 10th century to protect it from intruders. His former assistants allegedly killed him in 2010. Okay, quick timeout for all the Bible nerds in the room. Quick timeout for all the Bible nerds in the room. 
Temple, 12. That's interesting. 12 feet away. That's it. 12 is a very significant number in the Bible. How about the dude, the dude, something about Canaan? (laughs) And on and on and on. In one and a half minutes, let's talk about treasure in the temple, shall we? Today? Go ahead and answer yes. Yeah. What? I have no idea. I think they're operating in faith. Hey, what? Non-rhetorical questions requiring an answer. What is so, why do we want treasure so badly? Because why? What's so good about money? Freedom, power, don't have to, don't have to um, strive or work. How about um, recognition? How about uh, social status? How about can live in the best gated community? Um, gr- well, there is greed, yeah. Uh-huh, there is greed. Yeah, feeds our ego. You bet. You know, ever <laughs> who would... Who, who doesn't have a little bit of itch when it says, you, you know, there's treasure you can just go dig up? I, I think every, every little boy does. I don't know about little girls. Yep, we do. <laughs> but what is it about the hunt for treasure? There's whole movies about that. Indiana Jones and National Treasure and National Treasure Book of Secrets and I know those titles because we've only watched those movies about 700 times because there's no other good movies. Anyway, uh, what, what is it about the hunt for treasure that is so appealing and so attractive? How come? What is it about the hunt? It's the build-up, right? What else? Sure, the anticipation, Steve says. You bet. The uh-huh. The un- <laughs> Oak Island, there's somebody else who watches that channel. Yeah, right? I mean, it's the challenge. It's the what if. It's the unknown. It's the, in- it's the intrigue. It's the curiosity, right? I mean, what if? What if? So I'm going to submit to you that the hunt for treasures actually div- is divinely inspired. I think God puts that inside of us. I think God puts that inside of us. I really believe that's true. So we're enamored of treasure hunting. We are enamored, drawn by treasure. Let's just let that linger in the atmosphere. Let's let that stew or marinate or steep. Let's steep in that the rest of this message. So we're in the home stretch of 2021. We really are. 311 days are gone. 54 remain in this year. So today we begin wrapping up 2021. At Joy Church, at least. We begin wrapping it up. The next phase, we've been talking about the decade of Waymore for more than two years. The next phase of the decade of Waymore, year three, of the decade of way more kicks off 
very soon. It's just over the horizon. It's just 54 days away. I can't help it. I want him to come up here. I think I already, I think I've already kind of heard what 2022 is going to be all about. And I think it's just something that's, ooh, year three. I think all this work we've been doing for these two years is really going to start to accelerate. Starting a little over a year ago, year two of the decade of Waymore, we began saying 2021 is a year of transition and migration. Back then, every one of us in this room was sick, yea, even unto death of COVID. And tumult and uproar and unpredictability and chaos and this and that and politics and every other thing. And yet one of the things that we prophesied at that time was that 2021 was going to be all that and more just continuing chaos, and it was actually going to accelerate. We prophesied that um, 2021 was to be, is to be the year of transition and migration. I, look, I went back and looked at my notes from early sermons, especially the first week of January this year. I said in that sermon that it's a year of exodus, it's toward kingdom life well lived. We're going to transition. We're going to exodus into um, toward maturity as sons and daughters and disciples into adoption by Christ, into Christ, into his body, into his kingdom. And into its way, truth, and life. Now, what's the way, truth, and life of the kingdom? Well, it's how we think. It's thinking. It's culture. It's methods. It's structures. All those things. We're going to be leaving behind in 2021. More and more and more, we're going to be leaving behind religionism and evangelicalism and nationalism and politicism and culture wars and the deceptions behind them. We're going to become much more followers of Christ and the ways of the kingdom instead of fans. Everybody loves Jesus. Everybody's a fan of Jesus. How many are followers? So I, we said at the time, that I'm, still, I'm still talking from the first of this year. The rewards for those who migrate are great, are full, and are wonderful. For those who don't, and I'm talking in the circles of religion mostly, irrelevance. Irrelevance with mankind, irrelevance with the generations coming up, irrelevance for those who don't currently attend churches, irrelevance in culture, and irrelevance in irrelevant in influence. They're going to face loss of consortium with God. And we have seen this come true across our nation and across our region and in the church world nationally, regionally, and locally. We have seen this come to pass within our own faith community here, within the Joy Lifers, within the Joy Life tribe. We've seen this come true, separating fans from followers, sheep from goats, wheat from chaff, etc., we said that when it comes to our areas of influence, here's what we're going to emphasize. Here's what we're going to stand on. Our foundations and our pillars for 2021 are to be 
the centrality of Christ, Christ as center, and the supremacy of Christ, Christ as supreme. That's going to be our watchword, our guardrails, our handrails for the year. For more than 10 months, we have prophesied God will eagerly pursue those who earnestly desire and demonstrably seek and build kingdom character. And oh, have we seen that come to pass. We have seen God so change, upgrade, reform people's lives. And hmm. here's the thing. This year isn't over. God is still ready and eager to purify. We were going hard after this year. Our watchword this year was purity. We've been saying for two years it's all about presence, peace, purity, and power. And this year we're really going to focus on purity. Purity of Christ, purity of the gospel of the kingdom, purity and clarity of words and language, purity of a person's heart and his or her motives and intentions. Purity. He is still in the purifying business. He really is. Gosh, I hold this hanky in my hand. I feel just like T.D. Jakes. Do I look like him? No. I don't preach like him either. As we said 10 months ago, I, I must once again emphasize, he is very eager to continue with purifying. And he's no longer willing to abide man's definitions of purity. They're not the same. He's no longer willing to abide man's definitions of the church, of doctrine, and more. God is more eager than ever to love and bless and refine his church. And he's using an extraordinarily broad set of teachers and methods and situations and circumstances to accomplish this, accomplish his ends. He wants his church back. He wants his kingdom manifested. And do you know where that's happening the biggest and fastest right now? In the nation of Iran. Iran. A hundred percent Muslim controlled and run by Sharia law. The, 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 the nation and the government behind most of the terrorist groups around the world. One of the most scary places in the world for you and I to go. And that's where the Church of Christ seems to be accelerating and growing the fastest and the most. And you know what else? Here's the super crazy part. It's mostly women-led. Contrary completely to Muslim belief. So, normal is no longer kingdom normal. Almost a year ago, well, actually, it has been a year. We proclaimed that God defines pillars and mothers and fathers in the faith entirely differently than does churchianity and American culture. Egos and fiefdoms and positions and celebrity and corporate entities and more will be on the line. Many, many, many teachers, we said back then, and prophets and apostles and churches and ministries and organizations will be shaken. We have seen that happen throughout this year, and we will continue to. 
We said that in 2021, shaking will not only continue, it will accelerate and increase. It has. That prophetic ministry I'm trying to figure out how far to take this. Prophetic and apostolic ministry will be refined and redefined. We said, God, via many means and avenues, will extend to teachers and prophets throughout the land invitation and opportunity to repent and transform. And we said, those who choose otherwise run the risk of their works that they will collapse or that they might face actually becoming irrelevant. We've begun to really see that happen. So this was 40 weeks ago. 40 weeks ago, we began saying these things, and we said them very forcefully, kind of blew some people's hair back at the time. And if you've been around real prophetic impartation, here's what you do with a prophecy that you have tested, like it says in First Thessalonians. You bet the farm on it. You walk, you walk in it. You believe it and you believe it in. You believe in it and you believe it in and you walk in it. And we've done that for 40 weeks. Many, many happenings ago, after I preached those words, last week something significant happened. Sherry Poundstone stood up here and she said, I see right here. I see right here. What I see right here. What does she say? A treasure chest. A blue treasure chest. Not purple. She had her a discussion with the Lord. It really ought to be purple. And I, I forget your words. What did he say about that? No, it's blue. And I'll tell you something, I've been around Sherry a lot of years, and I know when something is a kind of vision, a kind of word, a kind of something that she sees, I know when something is a solid something, and I know when something is vivid and more real than real. And that day, that vision was more real than real. And she said... The challenge is that ain't none of us, she doesn't use that grammar, she uses really good grammar. The challenge is that we don't run up there and, 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 and dig in the treasure and get it for ourselves, inherit it, receive it. Is that pretty close? Okay. We're walking around it. That's what she said. We're walking around it. That's what she said. For me, I really get one clear meaning out of that. Now, there are myriad visions, there are versions and myriad um, meanings to that. And probably those of you who were here who caught something had a different meaning than the one I got and has kind of flowered over the week since. For me, there's no meaning more powerful than the divine occupancy of Christ and his glory. For me, that's how I took that vision and ran, and ran with it this week. <sighs> blue. Blue. God insisted on blue. Purity, virginity, 
innocence and birth are symbolized with this color. I looked it up. I spent some time at it. Did you get that? Purity. Ten months. Purity. God shows up and says, get you some of that purity. I looked it up. It is said, and who knows? It is said, blue was Jesus' favorite color. Blue can be a calming color. It symbolizes oftentimes reliability. Blue is an alternate color for the season of Advent. Advent is just three Sundays away. Starts the 28th. Of course, blue is the color of the ocean and the sky. It often symbolizes serenity, stability, inspiration, wisdom, or health. The very fact that the sky is blue stands for Yahweh. The deep indigo of stormy seas can carry more threatening or frightening associations and can make us feel unsettled or afraid of secrets deeply held. Almost scary, but kind of cool scary. A roiling indigo sea. Of course, it, it, it calls for respect. You don't toy with that. And it calls for awesome reverence. Indigo. Blue. A fearful power too vast to grasp. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of all wisdom. Reverential fear of the Lord is the cornerstone of all. Do you know, 49 times the Bible mentions a perfect, pure blue. A color so magnificent and transcendent that it was all but impossible to describe. There it signifies the healing power of God. It is called Techelet. I said that right. Techelet in Hebrew and is the most sublime subject and color which typically represents the word of God. Remember that woman in Matthew chapter 9 who had a profound 12-year-long health issue with the issue of blood? Remember her? She had two things going on that were horrible in her life. The first was that absolutely, that horrible health issue. And oh my gosh, how she must have suffered day in, day out, 12 years. But almost worse was how society treated her. Because in that culture at that time, first of all, she was a woman. And secondly, that meant that in the Jewish culture, she was unclean and impure and couldn't be around and couldn't be near and certainly couldn't be touched and certainly couldn't be helped. Or what'd she do as an outcast, utterly shunned, Jesus walking through a crowd? What'd she do? She crawled. She did everything she could to get to the hem of the garment. The Bible says that she kept saying to herself, Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, if I could only touch his prayer shawl, I would be healed. Now, what color? 
is the hem of a Jewish Persian Tehillet blue. I could spend another hour talking about how they've researched and determined how they made that color. It would bore you to tears. It fascinates me. Once she touched the hem of his garment and Jesus felt the power leave him, the woman was both healed physically and she was made pure. She was accepted. She no longer was outcast, no longer was shunned instantly. This treasure is available to you and me right now. God is as ready to yield fruit and fruit that remains as he was 10 months ago and as he was 2,000 years ago. I think pretty much everybody in this room is familiar with the term Pentecost and what happened there. I pretty much banked on that when I made these notes, and I think I'm good. So I don't need to explain that. I'm going to refer to John chapter 17, and let me set the context. This is Jesus and the, and the 12 at the time in Jerusalem, in the upper room. Passion Week is concluding. This is Thursday. Good Friday is tomorrow. Resurrection Sunday's in three days, but nobody knows any of that. This is Thursday. John chapter 12 is all about what happened that week and the commute from Bethany. And John chapter 13 is when he's talking to his disciples and he's washing feet. In John chapters 14 and 15, he's talking about the, uh, the Holy Spirit coming. He, he says that in chapter 16 as well. And he talks a lot, really a lot of important stuff there. The vine and the abide in me. Oh, that word sounds familiar. That was our... One of our two key words this year, abide and embrace. That's John chapter 15, the vine and the vine dresser. But we get to John 17, and a lot of theologians think by that time they've gotten up from table and they've headed out of the upper room and they've walked out of the building and the cross and they're going down through a big wash. We call it a draw here or an arroyo. There they call it the Kidron Valley. And they're heading up to the Mount of Olives and they're going to end up just in a short, not that long a walk, a couple of miles max. Not even that. Yeah, about, about, not even less, less than two miles. Up the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's when Jesus, a lot of people think, was telling them or was praying the high priestly prayer, it's called in John chapter 17. It's his longest single prayer in the Bible. He prays first to the Father, and then he prays, you know, that his work is accepted, then for the disciples, and then for you and me. Kind of remember about John 17 now? So, in John 17, verse 23, Jesus is speaking to the Father. He has already prayed for himself and his disciples. And he says to the Father, You live fully in me. Ooh, catch this. You live fully in me, he says. And he's talking to the Father. And I live fully in them. Verse 26. 
I have revealed to them who you are, and I will continue to make you, the Father, even more real to them, so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me, for your love will now live in them, even as I live in them. Jesus himself tells us that the Father's love lives in us. He tells us that he himself, in person, lives in us. At the time of John 17, which is 44 days before he ascends, because remember, three days after, well, one day after this, he's crucified. Two days after that, he, he resurrects. 44 days after he says this prayer, he ascends into heaven, where he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And 54 days, <gasps> wait a minute. 54 days, that sounds familiar. That's how many days are left. Okay, 54 days after he says this prayer, Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit shows up in the upper room. Now, I'll tell you at the time that the Apostle Paul was nowhere near. In fact, the Apostle Paul never met Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul never was around all the disciples. In fact, at the time Jesus said this prayer, the Apostle Paul was not even Paul. He was Saul. And he was a jerk. He was way worse than the jerk. He was a terrorist to Christ's followers, to the people of the way. He was a religious man of the highest order, of the worst order. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, it says in the Bible. He was, he was like, he was like the Pope with a significant anger issue. That was supposed to be funny. He went around terrorizing the Christians. He was given documentation and orders to do everything he could to disrupt them and even kill them and terrorize them and get other people to kill them and so forth. Saul, Saul was a maniac. He was horrible. And then what happened? He got blasted by the Holy Spirit one day. And three days later, he had the entire gospel of the kingdom kind of downloaded into him. And he spent the rest of his life preaching it and raising up others who would, and and birthing kingdom works, faith communities, churches, not buildings, not like what we call churches today, groups of people chasing after Jesus and the way, all over South Asia. And then what happened is that, well, it doesn't matter, because I don't need to get off into all of that point is he was radically changed and renamed by God to Paul. I think he tripped over the treasure chest and I think he fell into it. I do. Because he got all the treasure in no time flat. And then he shared it with everybody. The inspired writings of Paul are now the single biggest chunk of the New Testament. Here's an excerpt of what Paul told the church in Corinth 
This is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Quote, Now your souls will be strengthened and healed if you hold steadfast to your faith. Haven't you already experienced Jesus Christ himself living in you? If not, you are deficient. That doesn't mean that you're something less. It means that you lack. To the Roman church, to the people in Rome, in chapter 8, verse 30, Paul says there's even more treasure. You ready for this? Okay, so we got, wait a minute, hang on. We've got the love of the Father living inside of us. Jesus himself and Paul say we got Jesus living inside of us. But he tells the church in Rome, there's even more treasure. He says, those who possess the Father's perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his Son. Past tense. God put his glory inside of us. Love of the Father, Jesus himself, God's glory is inside of us for the taking. But I would like a confirming verse. I don't want to just stand on that because that's a little bit murky. So let's see what he says to the Colossians. This is a whole different church in a whole different region, in the city of Colossae, whole different situation, completely and utterly different. Here's what he says in chapter 3 of the book of Colossians. There is a divine mystery, a secret surprise that has been concealed from the world for generations, but now it's being revealed, unfolded, and manifested for every holy believer to experience. That's verse 26. Wait to hear 27. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. You can have even more. This mystery of Christ, I'm talking the Bible now, this isn't John, this is the Bible. The mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest, a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people, and God wants everyone to know it. That's what the Bible says. Did you hear that? Not only does the Father's love live within us, not only does the Christ dwell in us, not only does the glory of God live in us, we can have more of it and more of it and more of it as we transform and grow as disciples, and we can tell everybody about it. Now, here in our group, our church, our faith community, we have been in a long season of revelation and growth, revealing the gospel of the kingdom of God and going after it hard. We have received and imparted major revelation as to the supremacy of Christ and the centrality of Christ. That all happened because I got woke up in the middle of the night one time about, it's coming up on four or five years ago. Another story, another time. But I knew from that dream, I knew from that dream that my mission for a while was to chase down the centrality and the supremacy of Christ. And I chased down people who ran before us, came before us, and really caught it and got it. So I spent a lot of time with T. Austin Sparks. 
I spent a lot of time with Leonard Ravenhill, a lot of time with A.W. Tozer, and many others. There are forefathers in the faith. They really caught this. Tozer died in 1963. He was born in 1897. Check this out. Here's one thing he said. This is a man whose writings and sermons you can trust. He said, quote, Modern religion focuses upon filling churches with people. The true gospel emphasizes filling people with God. Unquote. In a sermon that A.W. Tozer entitled Divinely Occupied, A.W. included these words. The doctrine of the divine indwelling is one of the most important in the New Testament, and its meaning for the individual Christian is precious beyond all description. Precious beyond. Precious beyond all description. Sherry tried. She couldn't describe it. She looked for pictures. Couldn't find them. Indescribable. Last sentence of that quote says this. Let me just repeat it, though. The doctrine of the divine indwelling is one of the most important in the New Testament, and its meaning for the individual Christian is precious beyond all description. To To neglect it is to suffer serious loss. Treasure. Jesus is indwelling treasure that is bottomless, endless, and available. That's in Romans 11, Ephesians 3, and Philippians 4. He will never leave or forsake us. That's in Hebrews 13 and Joshua 1. He will always be with us, John 14, Matthew 28, and others. And he'll never, ever not be with us. So let me summarize. Jesus lives inside us. The Father's love lives inside us. The very glory of God, God put inside of us, and more is available as time goes on and as we grow. We can even have Scripture, the living and active words of God and the revelation of Christ living inside of us. That's Psalm 119. Another sermon, another day. When we got our new house, I was astonished at the weeds. One minute, literally, I swear, in the morning, nothing. Evening, boosh, dandelions, and by the time the evening came, the little white puffy things that we used to blow as kids all over the place. They just germinate and pop up all over the place. How many have, like mushrooms, just boosh, out of nothing, right? That's scripture. That's, that's, that's the revelation of Christ and the words of God given birth and tendered and nurtured inside you. That's what they do. They change your life through the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. They sure did mine. There is an unseen treasure chest sitting right in the center of this room, just ahead of this altar, and just ahead of that cross. It's themed in blue. 
your heavenly Father and Jesus the Christ and the divine sovereign Holy Spirit are prophetically saying, it's not too late. The year of pursuing my purity, God says, 2021 isn't quite over. There's still time to catch me and catch the wave I'm bringing in 2022. There's still time. He says, in my presence is peace. And he says, in my presence and peace is purity. And in my presence and peace and purity are my priorities. And if you have my presence and my peace and my purity and my priorities, you will have my power. And he says, I am eager to share all that. I can't wait to give it to you to the fullest. I am eager to put my presence and my treasure inside you. So we'll close this morning with this last slide. You see, Pentecost today is a never-ending constant. It's like nuclear fusion. It's constantly happening inside of the lovers of God. And the more you avail yourself of it, the more you get. That's why it's like fusion. You don't deplete it. You get more. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. Doesn't matter how you walked in here today. Doesn't matter what you came in here with. Because God's not the God of your past. He is as eager to give you and you and you and you and you, and I'm pointing at no one and everyone, more. More. So I'm going to give you an opportunity, actually the Lord is, to enter this holiday season strong. To finish this year strong. To go for personal revival these next 54 days. I'm inviting you to become occupied. Occupied by the living God. Occupied with the living God. We said last night at prayer that we even did a song called First Love Fire out of Revelation 3. The church in Ephesus did all the good stuff. But the Lord said through a massive angel, (laughs) but I have this against you. You forgot your first love fire. Return to your passion for me. So let's become occupied. Let's become more occupied by the divine. Let's become divinely occupied, occupied with Christ, occupied by Christ. (laughs) One of my favorite phrases, I have phrases and words that I absolutely detest. But one of the ones I love the most is this one. Come and get it. I like food. Can you tell? I like food. And whenever I've been a guest at somebody's house or, you know, at a branding and the, and the, and the ranch people are putting all that horrible for you, but tastes so good food or when we used to go to my mother-in-law's house and she'd do all that Southern cooking and somebody would say, come and get it. <laughs> Look out. I'll run right over you. 
That's what God's saying today. Come and get it. Come and get it. Come and get it. I, I want you to seek your own encounter. I want you to open the treasure box. I want you to dig around in it. I want you to ask for more. I want you to ask to be filled, to be refilled, and more. Ask, ask, get hungry. More Jesus, more scripture revelation, more Holy Spirit, more gifts of the Spirit, more glory, more presence, more peace, more purity, more power. Then be sure to accept it. It's a two-way proposition. And then be sure to walk in it. Believe it in. And be sure to walk it out. So I'll have a brief couple more words after this video plays. But now is the time has come. Let's call this an altar call, but you don't have to come to the altar. You're welcome to. Let's call this communion if we want to. You're welcome to go get a communion cup if that's what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. That's fine. And have communion with the Lord. It, you're welcome to get up and walk around. I, I'm not a person who really processes well sitting. You'll see me generally if I'm thinking about something I'm or I'm caught up in the spirit, whatever. I'm usually moving and walking. Sometimes I'm flat on my nose. But do whatever you need to do to commune well with Holy Spirit because he would like very much to do business with you. And he would like very much to fill you with the love of the Father more. The indwelling presence of Christ more. The very glory of God more. The living and active and breathing scriptures of God and the revelation of Christ, more, and power, and peace, and purity, more. It's there for the taking. I almost can see the treasure box sitting there. If I keep at this, maybe I can, maybe I can jump in on Sherry's vision and actually see it. It's not pretend. It's just in a dimension that we don't normally see. It's real. Will you do that? Will you just do business with the Holy Spirit and just see if maybe he's got something for you? Yeah? Heads nod all around the room. Yeah, okay. So we'll dim the lights and start the video and just receive. Just do business with him. Great.
Throughout this year, I have one day this, uh, you know, the fancy word for when the preacher sends you out is called a benediction, right? And uh, this just sort of flowed out of me one day, and I've said it several times this year, and this is what I want to send you out with is that same benediction, but it's not just any old benediction, so I hope you'll receive this as well. You ready? May the eyes of your heart behold the living expression of God who became a man and lives among us. May you gaze upon his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. I didn't make that up. It's John 1.14. May the ears of your heart catch the whisper of your king calling. 
may you sense the fragrance of Holy Spirit beckoning. May the Lord give you images and visions and dreams of what this could look like for you. May the holy need God put inside you for connection, for a tribe, for belonging, for validation, love, acceptance, forgiveness, and longing for new horizons be amplified beyond resistance. May your courage and your discernment grow and grow over time. May you reach beyond your tradition and your comfort for the touchable, tangible God. May the beckoning of your Heavenly Father become so real, so strong, so lovely, so powerful, you fully and completely cave into it. May you, over the next many months, grow into a disciple who at all times carries joy unending, peace unshaking, authority unbendable, and power unstoppable. We love you. I love you more than you can ask, think, or imagine, but it pales. It's not even, it's not even, it's not even the little nail on the end of my little finger compared to how much your Heavenly Father does. So please go with that love and please carry it with you. Be treasure seekers, treasure finders. Amen? Amen. Thank you for coming today. Thanks again for joining us on Joy Church Podcast. We want to personally invite you to our Sunday services at 1030 a.m. held at 4120 Highway 50A in Fernley, Nevada. To find out more about the Joy Life, be sure to visit www.joychurch.life. See you Sunday.